Welcome to Light It Up, a podcast about resilient women balancing motherhood, their careers, personal lives, and all of the challenges that come along with being a superwoman. Each week, you'll be motivated to take action to lead, inspire, transform, and empower. Now, here's your host, Dr. Regina Mashira. Good morning, everyone. I want to thank you for tuning in to another episode of Light It Up. Today, I have my guest who's actually joining me back on Light It Up, uh, author Rose Waters. She is one of the co-authors of the newly published and released um, anthology, Domestic Violence, Love Was a Battlefield, Stories of Survivors. I wanted to bring Rose on so that she could share, um, have more time to share about her background and her experience and what she plans to do next after now uh, publishing her first work. So welcome, Rose, to Light It Up. Hello, I'm glad to be back on the show today. Good, good. So we talked a few weeks ago and you were on with your co-authors, your other three co-authors, as well as the coordinator for uh, the anthology, Samantha Swain. Mm -hmm. And um, so I guess we'll jump right in. I wanted to extend the invitation for you to come back because you had, I think, such a... um, It was a very compelling story um, that you wrote uh, in the book, but it was also also very emotional too. And um, Mm -hmm. the way your story was strategically placed in the book, so your story is the last story Mm -hmm. that closes out um, the book. And uh, just, I guess, to give the audience just a brief overview background, your situation, we're talking about um, domestic violence. Your situation didn't necessarily start out as how we would classify domestic violence. Um, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. So if you, I know you're from uh, the South, you're from Atlanta, um, but if you could just talk about. Um, Briefly, let's start before we jump into the particulars um, as far as your story is concerned. Um, Why did you choose, how did you, um, I guess, learn about this opportunity to um, share your story in in the book um, with the other co-authors? Well, Samantha Swain, she's the co- uh, the coordinator, and she had posted a status, and she just was like, I'm looking for people from my four anthologies. She has more than one, and her first anthology was domestic violence, and she's like, you know, I'm looking for people. She didn't have a specific amount of people she wanted for each anthology, but we volunteered, basically, you know, and um, like I said, I didn't know the other co-authors until this anthology, and we volunteered, and um at first I was hesitant because I just felt like I didn't want people feeling bad for me. I didn't want really people knowing my business, but at the same time, I felt like it was selfish of me not to share this with other people that are struggling with this situation, you know? Mm -hmm. So I said, you know what? 
I'm going to share it because I've been through it and I got through it. So I'm a survivor. I need to motivate other women or men or children that is going through what I've been through. So that's why I say, you know what, I'm going to swallow my pride and I'm going to write this story, Mm -hmm. you know, and it was a struggle. The emotions that came with writing this book and reopening those wounds and reliving those memories was very hard. I almost quit a couple times, honestly, because it's like, I don't want to think about it no more. I'm done. You know, Mm -hmm. that's where I was at a couple times. It was very emotional. That's all I can say. Very emotional. And I'm just happy with the response that I got after writing this book. So it wasn't for nothing. I didn't get laughed at like I thought I would. I didn't get talked about like I thought I would. You know, anxiety came with it too. Cause I'm like, okay, everybody that I personally know is going to be like, wow, she's been abused. Mm-hmm. She's been a victim. You know, I was worried about that, but I had to swallow all of that and just push through, you know. What was it? Um, I know you said that there were a couple of times where you just wanted to quit writing just because of um, the emotional strain that it was taking mm-hmm. on you to relive um, your past. What mm-hmm. was it that kept you going or that, you know, made you decide I'm going to continue and finish and see this through? Um, like I said, I really wanted to help others. That was my motivation. I, once I joined a lot of domestic violence groups, I seen how severe and large this situation, this community really is. Like you think of domestic violence and what you've been through, you don't realize so many people have and are going through the same thing or worse. Mm -hmm. Like, you know, it's all bad, but some people really go through it to the point that they lose their life or to the point that they're unrecognizable after their abuse. So I was like, maybe I can save somebody, you know, that's, that was my whole motivation right there. You know, did you, when you were, um, when you were growing up, did you, um, so sometimes I've heard, um, just in talking, um, to people who have experienced abuse, And of course, like you said, there are different levels to it. Some people have lost their life. You know, some people are survivors, are able to tell, you know, live to tell the story. Mm -hmm. But um, when you were going through, like as a teenager um, and then Mm -hmm. in your dating relationships, was there anybody um, that you shared your experience with or did you just... God, honestly, I just didn't want to, I just went on with a smile. People would have never known. People would have never known, even in my childhood. It's like, I just took it, unfortunately. And it kind of made me an angry person. I used to fight a lot in school. I was so angry because I was being abused. I didn't know what to do. I was so angry at the world. I didn't know who to talk to. You know, I didn't have siblings or cousins my dad raised me as you, if you read the story in the beginning, I talk about my situation. Like it was just me and my dad. So I didn't have nobody to talk to. So that's another reason why I probably didn't really reach out to anyone. And I probably tried telling a couple of times, like guidance counselors and stuff like that. And they didn't really take it serious. Cause I, I had to put matters into my own hands at 16, you know, 
it was just, I had no support system. God, I'm telling you, at 14 is when I found God. I'm serious. When I was 14, I found God. Like, I didn't take church or God serious until I turned 14. And I started paying attention more. And I started seeing God be there for me, you know, mm-hmm. way more than I believed before. So God is really the only person that I owe all of this to because he's the only one that got me through all of this. You know, that's so interesting that you talk about finding God or relying on God in your faith and God at the age of 14. 14? Because, you know, I remember when I was 14 and I grew up in a religious home, Mm -hmm. but that's because that's all I knew, you know, so I didn't feel like, oh, I need to go out and search for myself or anything like that. Mm -hmm. Um, Was there a specific situation um, that occurred where you felt like uh, you had to become closer with God? You know what I mean? Because at 14, nobody's thinking about God too hard at 14. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, there were situations, let's speak plural. Um, my dad, for one, he was in and out with so many relationships. And with that came a lot of scars. I, you know, I grew attached to people that I wanted to be my mother because I didn't have that. I grew attached to families that I wanted to keep and I didn't have that. And he took it from me, you know, and then the abuse that came at the hands of these different families. One of the families that I was introduced to at 11 um, her son, he came home from prison and she put him in the basement where I was sleeping and he ended up molesting me. He used to molest me all the time. Nobody knew a word of it. You know, it was just a lot of emotional pain, physical pain that I experienced that just drew me towards God. Cause that's all I had. Mm-hmm. That's all I had. And I knew once I, li- I would listen to certain gospel songs and I tell you that would lift me up so high. Mm-hmm. nothing hurt I wasn't bothered you know I still had my moments because like I said I fought a lot in school but you know it, it really I don't understand how I'm still standing I always be like how am I here God is the only answer nobody else helped me nobody else was there for me that's how I know he's real because everything that I've been through would have made a person crazy would have made a person turn to drugs would have made a person turn to whorish ways, you know, different things. I've seen so many outcomes to different people in life. And I'm just, I'm just wise. I watch other people too. You know, I've seen movies. I know movies are movies, but they're, they're educational if you let it be. Mm-hmm. You know, it lets you know what other people go through in life. And I paid attention to all of that. And I just say, how am I still here? Why is my heart still so big? And I've been stabbed in that heart so many times. And I just know it's God. There's no other answer for that, you know? Yeah. And, you know, just thinking about um, the age that you were when um, at 11, that, I mean, that's the age growing up, you're supposed to have someone who's there to protect you. My dad did not protect me. Yeah. Um, do, how, um, how do you think that um, lack of protection and just your experience growing up, do you think that that, um, how, how did that impact you in terms of 
how you um, how you are, you know, as far as parenting, you know, your relationships, like, did are you an over, I, I don't want to use the term overprotective because I'm overprotective. You can't be too, I am overprotective. Yeah. That's all I can tell you. Yeah. I don't play about my children. Mm -hmm. I won't let, I'm watching them every, like, it's kind of smothering, but it's for their protection. And the way this world is today, you really have to be that way. These kids get molested on the bus, at school, at home, with their cousins, like wherever they're at. I'm watching my kids 24-7 because I refuse to let them get molested like I did. Mm -hmm. I was not only molested once, I was molested several periods in my life, several different periods, 5, 9, 11, and 14. Wow. I have been molested different times, different people, you know, so I just know how people are. That's what made me wise too. Mm -hmm. I, and I knew the different people that did it to me were supposed to be family members. They were all supposed to be family members. And that's why I watch family the hardest mm -hmm. because you would think, Oh, uncle Joe, isn't going to do that to my child. Uncle Joe may very well do that to your child. Uncle Joe did it to me. You know, mm -hmm. and so that's what made me wise. It made me who I am today. Everything that I've been through. Um, as far as my parenting, I try not to be abusive to my children. I'm not abusive, mm -hmm. but I try not to. If I spank my kids, it's literally the last resort. Mm -hmm. Literally the last resort. I had to spank you. I didn't just get, I didn't just hit you because you're standing there. I didn't just hit you because I'm upset at the world. Like I had to go through, you know. Mm -hmm. So that's why I try to remember what my parent did to me and be the opposite. I try to remember that. Do not be like that. That was not good. Look how it made me feel. Look how I could have turned out because of it. So I always remember, you know, it's not easy. Yeah. It's definitely not easy, but I'm making it, you know. Yeah. So let's get into your writing because this, you're a newly published author, but as you were going through, so coming up during your teenage years, you know, you've experienced mm -hmm. all of this hurt and pain. And I know you mentioned that you didn't have like cousins or siblings or anybody that you could talk to or you could confide in. Um, did writing during that time, because I know you were writing, you know, when you were in school, did that mm -hmm. become your outlet for you to kind of, um, at least yeah. try to release some of what you were feeling and experiencing. Yes, it was like a a place for me to project my the life that I wanted. You know, I tried to put myself in my stories and live that peaceful life that I wanted. You know, that life without sexual abuse, that life with getting things that I want, you know, that I didn't get like other kids got, you know, stuff like that, you know. Mm -hmm. I was an only child, but I barely got anything. Like I was, I grew up in rags, you know, sometimes I had really nice things every now and again, mm -hmm. but so I was appreciative. It's just, it was a lot. So I would project myself into those stories and I would put me in every story. That's a fact. I was in every single story and it was just, it was definitely my getaway that and music writing and music was my getaway from all of everything. Okay. So considering that your first work was about um, a true story, you know, events that, that happened for you, has this, um, going through this process that I know is very emotional for you, 
have you considered or are you considering continuing to write and publish yeah. anymore? Yes, I have so many books and so much to say. I have so much to say, so many real life events that I actually want to write before I start getting into made up stories or, you know, I have so much that's true that I want to say and get out to the world. Like my autobiography is actually next in line. I want to tell my life story. This life story of mine, it has so many stages, so many things that I've been through. I've lived in so many different states. I've been in orphanages. I've been, um, I, I've been through a lot and I just want to tell it to the world. I want other women or girls that have been through what I've been through that can relate to reach out to me and I can tell them everything. Like that's why I got two girls. Mm -hmm. I try to tell them everything. Like I say, my oldest, I say, there is nothing that you're going through that I have not been through simply because I am a woman and I was once a girl. So that's one reason, you know, and then like, with fighting in school or something like that. I can definitely relate to that with her. She's been in a couple of them. And, you know, I just try to relate to my kids and things like that. And another thing about my kids, they are my stepchildren. Okay. But I have never called them stepchildren. I haven't had any biological. They're my husband's kids. And I accepted them since they were little. I have been their only mom in the picture. And I never called them stepkids. But legally, you know, legally, you have to say, you know, these aren't my biological kids. But anybody in the world would never know that unless I told them, unless they knew me or something like that. Mm -hmm. But these are my, my kids. These are my babies. And I treat them just like I had them. And that's that's how they deserve to be treated. Mm -hmm. So it's just a lot. It's a lot. It's a lot I have to say. And that's why I got so many works planned. It's all in my mind and in motion. I eventually want to write kids books too. Okay. So will your, with your, um, with your autobiography, like are considering the fact that you have so many different stories to, to tell, will it be, have you thought about whether or not it will be a series or do you think you'll just try to write your complete story up until present day and release that your plan. That that's a good thing. That's a good question. I might do like a two-part book. I might do a three-part book, or it might just be one. I'm not really sure yet. Because when I say this story is large, it might have to be more than one part. So people won't be like, goodness, this book goes on and on and on. I'm telling you, there's so many stages from my childhood to my adolescent years to my teenage years to my adult life that I have to say. When I say I've been through a lot of things in just these few 28, almost 29 years, I have been through it all at just this age. Mm -hmm. So I just might, and that was a good idea because I didn't think of it. I just might do a one, two or three part, you know, book series with that. So it's a good idea. And, and you know when we when we talked a few weeks ago, it was um, I found it interesting that or I could actually relate to when uh, Sam said you're the baby of the group because generational in terms of generations and the authors who contributed to the book, you are the youngest. Um, but that doesn't mean that your experience is not, you know, doesn't bring. My experience is crazy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. My experience is mature, very yeah. mature. Like I've been through a lot exactly. at a young age. Exactly. And that's what I was going to say. I mean, to be 28, 29 years old 
and to go through all that you've experienced in such, um, like you said, at such a young age. Um, mm-hmm. And of course, I don't want to give away all of the details of the book because we want people to buy the book. And I read the book and I was telling you, it was, it was a turn. I mean, I couldn't stop as far as turning the pages. Like I sat there and I completed the entire book in one setting. And it's like over a hundred pages. It's 150 pages because I couldn't put it down. Um, and it was emotional. So you, you definitely yeah. have to be prepared, I think, to, to even read it. Cause, but just the imagery and the way you describe your experiences. Like I was visualizing, I'll give you an example. Mm-hmm. Uh, there was a part in the book where I think it was when you were released from the, when you were leaving the group home because you were of age yes, and you were being transported. Like, I, I don't know. I just imagined this. Um, cause I think it was in rural Indiana. If I uh, Rush, Indiana or, but I just envisioned oh. like this rural town, you know, it is country backwood. Yeah. Weird roads, cornfields for miles. Yes. <laughs> and that was like the imagery that I had you know, and just thinking about that, like, so I was able to just kind of, it was very vivid in mm-hmm. terms of the details. And, um, you know, to me, that just shows where a person has a gift, you know, of telling mm-hmm. a story. Thank you. So I want to commend you for that, because mm-hmm. it, had you not stated that, you know, this was the first time that you, you know, published work, I think you did a very good job. Thank you. Um, with telling your story and um, allowing the reader to just live through your words. Um, so let's let's kind of talk about. Um, I know you're married now. You have three children. Mm-hmm. Um, you you did suffer, you know, at, during your childhood, um, mm-hmm. the the abuse, um, and then. And that was one of the reasons why you were not no longer living with your parent because exactly. of the experience. So you, mm-hmm. right, right. So when you, when it, when you were of age and then, you know, you were um, able to transition, um, you ended up in a relationship where there was abuse, abuse. That hurts, definitely. Because it's like, I used to tell him what I've been through before he even started all this. Mm-hmm. Told him what I've been through. He's seen what I've been through. He's met my dad. He knew all of this stuff and turned right around and did it to me. So it's like, wow. Mm-hmm. You use this against me. That's how I felt. You use this against me to gain power over me. You didn't love me. You only needed me, you know, that hurt, definitely hurt. And I suffered, trust me, I suffered. Still scarred by it, physically and mentally. Mm -hmm. And it was not an easy transition to leave that situation. Mm -hmm. It was like, love me, okay, love me already. 
begging and pleading somebody that's hurting you to love you is really, really shameful. I was ashamed. I didn't know what to do. I didn't know how to be. Because I also transitioned out of a group home. Like, I didn't know how to be normal, in my in my opinion. Right. I'm used to people watching me and making me go to bed at a certain time and go to eat at a certain time. It was like jail, in a way. But it wasn't jail, because we kind of had freedom, kind of. Mm-hmm. You know, they let us date in there. Mm-hmm. You know, but supervised can do, you know, normal dating stuff, which is okay. Mm-hmm. But it's just, you know, coming out of that, that's why I said, I don't even drive now because of being in that situation. It was not very helpful to me. I felt like we were just held there until we were a certain age and let go, you know, and that's why I felt like I depended on him. You know, I'm not used to, I felt like I needed him probably. I'm not used to being on my own, even as an adult, because people are like, you're almost 30 and you don't drive. Well, you don't understand why. I can keep making excuses, but I'm actually fearful of driving now. Mm-hmm. At first, I wanted to. It's like, okay, I'm young. I'm ready to drive. Now, as the years then got by, I'm scared to drive now, honestly. I hope I get out of that fear one day and I do it, mm-hmm. which I have. I drove like in my city a little bit, but not too serious on like you can count on two hands how many times I've drove Mm -hmm. so it's just a lot of things that hindered me and that's why I I felt depending on a loved one or because I didn't have family growing up so when I got in this relationship it was like okay someone loves me finally you know I've been abused so long and misused for so long And I thought maybe it was something that I was doing. Maybe I didn't say something right. Maybe I didn't cook right. Maybe I didn't please him sexually. Or I didn't know what it was. I really didn't. And it just took, like, this man is hurting me. He does not love me. It took a while. Mm -hmm. It took a while. Just like with my dad. Even even though my dad abused me, I kept protecting him. He could have went to jail a long time ago. I kept protecting him. I never told on him, you know this is my dad, this is all I have, is what would go through my mind. I don't want to lose him. He loves me. Maybe he's just upset. You know, I made so many excuses for years. I got fed up. And it's not because I was 16. But I was 16, I got wiser, I got tired. I knew I didn't deserve this, and especially anymore. Like, that, he just angry at nothing and just lash out on me. Just, what am I doing? to deserve this, you know? Mm-hmm. So I finally just put my foot down with him and tell him that and he and my, my significant other still used that against me. He did the same thing, same thing. Wow. And you know, when, um, so as I was listening to you, you know, I was thinking about how for you, because you didn't experience the love that you yearned for, um, that you needed. Mm-hmm. And as a result, then um, you were trying to find it in this individual. That's what it was. Yeah. Um, at what point for you, because I know even, you know, we talk about when people are in abusive relationships there is something that they finally make a decision or there's a situation where enough is enough and they build up the courage 
you know, to leave or whatever the circumstances mm-hmm. are, because there are different reasons why people stay. Mm-hmm. So for you, what was it that kind of I just felt nothing anymore. No happiness, no sadness, no mad. It was just pointless. I'm over. I'm over it. I'm done. When I didn't feel, I didn't feel angry. I didn't feel sad. I didn't feel happy. I didn't feel love. I didn't want to be touched. Then I knew it was over. Mm-hmm. You know, I knew that once I got numb, that it was done. And I hate that it took that because I tried for so long. But it took that to make me leave, to make me leave the situation alone. You know, it pro- I probably was done a good year before I officially leave, left. Mm-hmm. I just kept thinking maybe something will change. Just stick around and just let it flow. You know, the abuse wasn't just a daily or weekly thing. It just, it was spurts. And that's another reason I stayed so long, spurts. So it's like, okay doesn't happen often maybe he'll change nothing yeah that's another I think misconception when we're um when you were an outsider or someone who um hasn't experienced abuse right Mm -hmm. um you know people all they you will hear people say well why didn't they just leave or why did they stay exactly but when you're in an abusive relationship in many cases, nine times out of 10, the abuse is not happening every day. Yeah. Like you said, it could, it spurts. So it could be- Once a year for me, really. Yeah. But it was too, too much. It was like, exactly. why? Right. Once is too much. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Um, what advice would you give um, someone who- um, has experienced or is experiencing abuse. And I think it's important to note that, um, you know, there are different forms of domestic abuse. Mm-hmm. There's emotional, um, physical, mm-hmm. sexual, sexual. Yeah, yes. we said emotional, but yes. Yeah. Um, the advice I would give them is try. That's one thing. Try. Because if you don't try, you're not going to get in, not try in the relationship. Let's clarify that. Mm -hmm. Try to get out of it because I don't really see it getting better. I have not seen one that got better. Uh, I mean, there's hope sometimes if you feel like you can get, that person can get counseling, like serious counseling and serious anger management. And if you see them actually trying to really change, I think that's the only time you should stay. Mm -hmm. If you don't see that, if you see them still always angry and down talking you and just realize that's not going to change. They might do it in spurts. Like mine, for instance, it's still, it's going to happen. You know, they turn it off and on when they get ready to. It's not love. You know, I would say try to get out of it. It's not easy because like me, it took me a while. It's not easy to get out of. You're attached to them. You love them. You, you know, you don't want to leave. You feel sad. You feel abandoned or whatever the case may be. But you got to tell yourself, is this what I want? Do I want to keep going through this? Um, is this love? Hurt. Love does not hurt. That's one thing. Love does not hurt. Love feels good. 
if you gotta hurt to get love, then it ain't love. That's just how I feel about it. I'm not saying nothing, everything's perfect. Arguing, that's normal. Disagreeing, that's normal. Somebody going upside your brain is not normal. It's not. Right. You said love doesn't hurt. Um, how important is it? I mean, I have my own opinion, but I'm just curious to know what mm-hmm. you think. How do you, um, you know, I, in order to be loved, right, mm-hmm. you also have to love yourself. That's the truth. So I'm still I, learning self-love. Mm-hmm. Self-love is not easy when you come from my background. Mm-hmm. I self-hate myself sometimes. I don't like my hair. I don't like my skin. I don't like my weight. You know, it's a lot of things I can sit and pick at myself about, but I'm breathing. I didn't die. People love me. You know, uh, my kids love me. I have so much to live for. I'm talented. I try to look at other things that's positive about myself and not just the negative things that I don't like, you know. Abuse definitely makes you self-conscious, definitely. You think you're so ugly. You think you're so terrible. Like, what's wrong with me? Why am I not pretty enough, you know? Um, I used to think I was too dark-skinned. I used to hate my skin color as a kid, mm-hmm. probably because of uh, abuse, you know, um, school kids and think I were I was attractive and things like that and I'm like well I'm ugly you know I started self-pitying myself I started eating and that's how I got overweight I was never too big I ate for comfort so self-love is definitely very important if you don't self-love you're going to start to self-hate you're going to settle for abuse you're going to settle for um people down talking you you're going to settle for not liking your skin color your hair your nationality anything it's a lot of things that make you not like yourself because of abuse or things like that so that's why it's definitely important to love yourself or else it's a lot of things that can unfold when you don't love yourself. Mm-hmm. A lot of things. So you have, a, with with this book that you've written, that you helped to um, co-author, what do you want to come from it? You've been very transparent with your story. Mm-hmm. And I know initially, you know, you were concerned about how people would react, but you've received positive um, feedback. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So what do you want to, what's next in terms of uh, the book platform about um, domestic violence? What do you envision that you're going to do next? I know you're going to be writing your autobiography, mm-hmm. but what else is on the horizon for Rose Waters? Well, definitely, I, I want to become an advocate. That's That's number one. This book opened my eyes to the world of the community of domestic violence. I knew other people were hurting or being abused, but I didn't know it was so large. It's very, very large, and we would never know about that. I didn't know that so many men got abused. You know, that shocks me. It's like, what, men? I thought, you know, Mm -hmm. I mean, I heard of, not to get too deep off of uh, the the initial question, Mm -hmm. but Johnny Depp is a domestic violence survivor. His girlfriend or wife or whatever she was, she used to abuse him. Oh, she I, really, I was shocked, yes. 
she abused him a lot and cut his finger and did all types of things to him. So it's like something needs to be done. I need to speak up on this, you know. I need to speak. Maybe it'll encourage more men and women and children to step up and say, hey, I'm, I'm being hurt so it can save them from a life of destruction because this type of abuse really messes with your mental. It really does. The physical abuse is bad. Verbal abuse is actually worse, but physical abuse is really bad. It really messes with you. It makes you have PTSD, anxiety, all types of things. So I just want to help people. I want to speak on it more, you know. Maybe I can go to different rallies or different organizations and, you know, maybe I can start an organization. It's just, it's, I'm still new to it. I'm still wrapping my mind around it, but I know there is more I want to deal with, with domestic violence. I didn't just want to write the book and be done with it. I want to help people. That's for sure. I want to help people. Well, that's good. I mean, I think that's, um, very good to be able to um, use your life as a way to help others. Mm -hmm. uh, and, you know, just like you pointed out about so many, there are so many men who experience abuse, but of course they don't talk about it. But when you think yeah. about it, yeah. And it's, and it's really the same um, uh, reason that women who are in abusive relationships don't talk about it because mm -hmm. they're ashamed. I'm sure that's magnified probably tenfold. Oh, man. Because right. it's like, I'm a man. How am I being beat up? And you know what? It's so crazy to me not to bring too much of my personal life into this, but I have experienced and seen domestic violence from a man abusing a woman with my mother. Mm. He's an, uh, she's an abuser to her husband. And it's really sickening. It's really sickening to me. I hate seeing it. I hate being around it. And it's, it lets me know it's real. When I seen it firsthand, I knew how real it was for a man to go through domestic violence as well. Mm -hmm. So it's just, it's like, it's got to be some type of something done. I know it's not going to completely stop because you can't stop everybody in the whole entire world. But maybe we can get people to hear this and they can stand up for themselves and get out of it you know yeah and people also have to be willing to talk about it and also not just be bystanders because i think like even when you talk about when you think about domestic violence probably in the black community for example um and i don't even want to say the black community but just in general people will kind of be bystanders they may know or have an inkling that maybe that there's something going on but don't want to get involved or don't exactly. want to interfere and say it's not my business um and that's where we have to stop just like that's a failure, too. That's, a failure. that's sad yeah if i knew somebody was being abused i can't just go beat the person up but i can definitely try to extend a hand to that person going through it exactly. so give them you know or numbers, hotline, something, something better than just turning the cheek. Like, oh, not my business. And even, um, I mean, because I, I know people who have been in abusive relationships or are in abusive relationships, and I've always been known as the, um, I've been the outspoken friend. So I'm the friend that typically, if, if you're in one of those relationships where there are those types of challenges and 
and let's just say the the man is the abuser I'm the friend who tells you, you deserve better. Don't, you know, let me help you. And so I'm the one that they don't like. The abuser does not like. Exactly. <laughs> That's the friend I don't like. I don't like her. She star drama and stuff right. like that. Right. Mm -hmm. But I've just always felt like I have a responsibility. If I care about you, if you're a mm -hmm. friend, then I'm going to tell you. Um, I actually just had a conversation with someone earlier this week. Um, where I had to say to them, like, right now you have an opportunity. One chapter of your life has closed. You have an opportunity to escape and move forward because you deserve better. Mm -hmm. um, it's kind of the same story that I've been saying and repeating for years, but mm -hmm. I'm going to continue until... You know, hunk her down. You yeah. know, it, it it be like that. You know, don't give up because you care about them. Right. You, know, if you gave up, then you don't care. You know. Right. And you I mean, the best you can do. That's what we need is more people to speak up and to show some concern and show some compassion um, as far as this is concerned, because it certainly is. Um, you know, it's it's an important topic that we can't continue to kind of turn a blind eye and not try and help those who um, are in need. So um, what do you have with, with the book? Are you all doing any type of, I know we're still with the shelter in place and yes. have all of these restrictions, but um, are there like any opportunities that you see on the horizon to do like a virtual promotion virtual book fairs or anything like that that you know may be coming up with promoting the book well i'm game for that um but that hasn't come up too much yet we still like um sending out letters to different organizations and trying to promote our book like that for now okay. um it's a whole lot going on in the world so that's why a lot of things are slow yeah. So I would not be opposed to that. I do know we have a book fair in Texas next year Okay. that we're going to attend. So that's the only thing that's closest that I know of as of now. Right. So other than that, I'm not opposed to it. I'm pretty sure once all this madness dies down, a lot more opportunities will open for us. Mm -hmm. And I can definitely speak with the rest of the crew and we can see what we can get going together, you know. And, and of course, we've got to mention, because we want people to make sure that they check out the book, where can they get their copy of the book? And I'm going to, because I have the book right here, <laughs> so um, no problem. So this is the book, Domestic Violence. Uh, Love was a battlefield. Yes. So yeah. where can they get their copy of the book? You guys can find the copy of the book on Amazon. Just type in domestic violence, love was a battlefield. Or if you follow me on Instagram, I have the link on my uh, profile as well as my Facebook page. You can find me on Facebook at Rose Waters. You can find me on Instagram at double underscore rose dot waters, double underscore. And then I have the link to the book on my page as well in my bio. Gotcha. So, inst so Facebook, mm -hmm. Rose Waters, Rose Waters, and then Instagram is double underscore Rose mm -hmm. dot Waters double yeah. underscore. 
you got to make sure I follow you on Instagram. So thank you. I will make sure that I do that. Um, before we kind of wrap up, do you have any, what words of advice, um, wisdom can you leave uh, the audience with? What do you, what do you, what's the one thing, so twofold question, what's the one thing that you want um, the listeners to know um, about you, um, lasting thoughts, and then what words of wisdom or advice can you share with um, someone who may be experiencing domestic violence or family or, and friends who know someone who is experiencing? Um, if you know someone that's experiencing domestic violence, I really believe that you should reach out to them. I mean, you can do it privately so they won't be embarrassed. So you won't make them feel a way of like hiding and retreating like, oh no, I'm being, you know, put on a spot. So I think you should take the time, find the right time to approach that person and say, hey, I know. What can I do to help? You know, what can I do? I got this number. I got this organization. Do your research too. Don't just go in blind. You know, do your research on domestic violence or domestic violence organizations and then approach them. You know, if you care about them, definitely approach them. Don't just ignore it. You know, someone's being hurt. I really feel like you should reach out to them and don't, that kind of makes you guilty in my opinion. That's just my opinion. Because if you know and you're not at least trying to talk to them, because you can't make anybody do anything. But if you know you you can talk to them at least, then try. At least try. Because um, anything helps. It might encourage them to get up and go one day. It might encourage them to say something to someone else. Anything. And then with me, I just say look forward to seeing me. <laughs> on your local TV, maybe. Uh, I really wanna speak up on domestic violence. Um, I have other works coming up. So there's a lot that I have to say. You guys will definitely see my face again. Um, just look forward to being a positive role model in this world. That's what I really wanna do. Mm -hmm. I wanna be some positive. I want my daughters to look up to me. I want your daughters to look up to me. You know, I just wanna be positive in this negative world. Well, look, that's, and we need more of that, more people who want to um, be positive and share their positivity, because we are definitely living in a time where we are um, experiencing too much pain, too much grief mm -hmm. um, at the hands of, of others. Um, exactly. So, so it's, um, it's definitely a trying um, time <laughs> trying era because it's been going on for some years a lot of this stuff a lot of things but yeah yeah um so i um definitely i'm looking forward to uh what you have on the horizon and um i know that people are definitely going to benefit from um hearing your story reading your story um of course um and again, I always think it's just so important to be transparent because that's what people need. They need to um, know that when there are people who are 
writing books or what have you, that they are willing to be transparent and authentic because you get a lot from that. So I thank you for um, taking me up on the invitation to come back onto the podcast um, to continue to share. And um, glad to be here today. So looking forward, like I said, to more exciting things coming from you. So I'm going to just say Rose Waters, that's the name that you all should be on the lookout for because you are definitely going to continue to hear her name. So um, before we go, uh, if you could just give your um, social media again so folks can um, follow you on either Facebook or Instagram. All right, so you guys can follow me on Instagram at double underscore rose dot waters double underscore. And then you can follow me on Facebook. It's on my page. You can like my page. Follow me for updates, events, or anything that's coming up in the future. It's just Rose Waters. You'll find me on there. Okay, perfect. So thank you so much for uh, joining me today. And thank you to my audience for tuning in to another episode of Light It Up. I look forward to you all joining me next week. Thanks for joining me this week on Light It Up. Make sure you visit my website at www.lightituppodcast.com or www.ajinamohammed.com. You can also find me on social media using the handle at Light It Up Podcast. If you like what you've heard, please be sure to hit the subscribe button so you'll never miss a show. While you're at it, I'd appreciate a rating on iTunes, or you can simply tell a friend about the show. Be sure to tune in every Tuesday for a new episode. Until next time, light it up and shine bright like a diamond.